Hello and welcome to Winner Winner, a Player <laughs> Unknown's Battlegrounds podcast. I am your host, Robin. And I'm your host, Arjuna, with a, with a regular accent. <laughs> We're back for another week with you guys. Yeah, yeah. It's episode 18, and we are stoked. All right. So, um, today we are going to cover a handful of things as usual. So, a little bit of current events for you guys, some patch updates for the PC. Uh, no patch for the Xbox this week. Wah, wah, wah. Wow, wow, wow. Of course, we have a question of the week from one of our Patreon contributors, and we've got our classic highlights back. So we're going to be doing a weapons highlight with the AKM versus the DP-28, and then a location highlight, which is going to be uh, Kameshki on Erangal up in the northeast. happening city in the northeast. It's a fun spot. Y'all. And then our main discussion today is going to be duos and kind of duo gameplay strategy tactics yeah metagame all of that stuff yeah and i'll tell you what man splitting a chicken dinner between two people is still a lot of dinner so (laughs) you know don't don't be shy you'll get fed and then some have a little to bring home to your kids yeah none of that i mean squad you gotta split it with four people i know man it's not even it's not even that satisfying you're like i killed 10 people for a quarter of a chicken yeah exactly just got the leg <laughs> gonna make some bone broth and half the time they're just throwing chicken legs at my dead corpse because i've been dead for like 40 people you know <laughs> all right let's start off we'll do some patreon shout outs here um had some good chaps on there recently uh with chris uh dennis has been on and sprite as well been fun to play with them and also our question of the week chap is uh daniel did i say it right yeah yeah daniel from sweden yep he's been fun to play with different time zone entirely and on different servers since he's in sweden totally yeah daniel's been great he's been really welcoming of new members in the discord if you join the discord you'll have a big friendly hug waiting for you from daniel (laughs) no pressure bro (laughs) so (laughs) so he he took quick advantage of his patreon membership by submitting a patreon question of the week which can be yours for the small price of becoming a patreon member on our show so he writes in this week and he says hey guys i have a suggestion for a question for the next podcast i would like to hear you talk about the mental aspect of this game how do you manage to keep cool in a firefight or in a top 10 situation Mm. do you have any tips and tricks He also goes on to say, do you guys choke sometimes as well? I often choke when I should manage to kill people. If I'm the underdog, I often do good. But when I should kill someone, I choke a lot. Mm. And I'm just, I was just like, like, I never choke, bro. Yeah, exactly. I don't know what this guy's talking about. You know, like who chokes? Feel a stress? Like, no, I mean, I never. Yeah, man. It's like, it's just like. Uh, I stopped choking when I reached like 700 hours, I man. I just fling my mouse and kill him. Like, there's <laughs> nothing going, like, nothing to see here. Yeah. What's you're stressed about? <laughs> yeah, what, what's stressful about this game, right? I've only so, been in this game for 40 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the short answer, Daniel, is smoke some pot before you play. It'll really help. <laughs> Actually, I doubt that would help me. I'm not the kind of person that like gets a reduction in anxiety from smoking pot usually. Yeah. Um, I I don't think I would either. Yeah. 
That's I would just hear footsteps like all around me <laughs> all the time. Yeah. So, so I love this question though. In all yeah, seriousness, great question. this is definitely I don't know anyone who plays PUBG who doesn't deal with this. Um, yeah. And so totally. it's a huge one and I definitely notice it. I think right around 20 players left is mm. like when it really ramps up. Mm -hmm. And I noticed I'll notice if I'm trying to shoot somebody on auto fire or just any kind of fire. I can hardly move my hand because my mouse hand is so clenched that like <laughs> it's like I'm like about to crush it, you know. Um, and it's just really hard to have fine motor control when you're tensed up like that. Um, and so that's one of the the symptoms of knowing you're a little bit tense is if you feel like your mouse might be cracking under your strength. So, um, but yeah. yeah, so we need to get into some solutions to this. Right now. Yeah. This, this would really make a good longer episode mm -hmm. discussion. So we'll definitely, we'll put this on the list and we'd love to go deeper into this. But let's let's just address this question. How do you manage to keep cool in a firefight or in a top 10 situation? So this is a really great question, and I still have trouble with this to this day. And one, one of the things that I have learned to do in this game is, like, I will actually, when I'm in the top 10, if I'm in a spot with good cover, I will actually just, like, take a moment and like take a breath mm -hmm. and be like all right arjuna this is the top 10 like don't do anything stupid mm -hmm. and i actually give myself a little pep talk and mm, really yeah i do can you give us the pep talk <laughs> okay put me on the spot right yeah so we have a podcast man you got to give us your pep yeah talk. yeah yeah okay so my pep talk probably actually sounds like this in my head so i say something like all right arjuna just like keep cool you're in the top 10. Don't like play this any differently. Like that's one of the tips actually is I just try to pretend that I'm not in the top 10. Mm. I just try to focus on the same thing I'm always focusing on in this game, mm -hmm. which is what do I do next? So the first if we're going to we'll probably do a show on being in the top 10 someday and the yeah. first thing we're going to tell you is part of being in the top 10 is not being in the top 10. Is not being in the top 10. Exactly. <laughs> that is some zen ass advice right there yeah <laughs> <laughs> some paradoxical shit happening here yeah man got some kung fu master coming out here uh-huh so yeah because because here's the deal guys is that the more you think about the fact that it's a 1v3 or especially when it's a 1v1 like if you're just sitting there thinking like holy shit it's a 1v1 and i'm the last other person in this game like you're gonna fuck up so i think a better way to think about it is to sit there and be like, what's my position? And how am I going to pan this motherfucker? How am I, I going to pan this guy in the face? <laughs> but it's a really, I, I think this is a really important point is that you shouldn't be playing any differently in the top 10 than you do otherwise. I mean, definitely a smaller circle it makes things different and having like a density of final players definitely makes your strategy a little different but i just think it's really important to to remember that like the last kill isn't any different from the first kill it's like any of those kills could have lost you the game right i don't i don't know i i think i see why you would give yourself that talk cuz it takes some of the edge off 
But I think that people behave differently in the end game. And that that people are a little more careful. Um, I mean, it gets increasingly, people get increasingly careful, I think, as the game goes on. Yeah, that's true. Right? And so you're not going to see someone like charge out of a house in the end game and just like run over to another one just for shits and giggles to like loot, right? Yeah. Or like tree hop too, too out, much out in the open or just run through the middle of the circle. Like there's a lot of things that obviously you wouldn't do that. And so you're, you're thinking of it. It's not that you're behaving as if you're an early game, but you're just thinking about like, hey, the, the, the kills, the mechanics, the, the decisions are ba- essentially taking place in the same context. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Well, this yeah. is what I noticed is that there was a really long time, literally hundreds of hours in the beginning when I was playing this game, where I would get to the final circle and I'd be like, holy shit, I'm in the final top 10. I need to do something special. What am I going to do now? Mm-hmm. And what I noticed is that the first chicken dinner I ever got in solos was like I was just like running killing everyone I met, rotating around the circle, found Mm -hmm. the final person, killed him. Mm -hmm. That was my chicken dinner right there. Mm -hmm. And it was this kind of moment to me where I was like, whoa, it was like a Neo in the Matrix moment. Like, (laughs) that was a really regular-ass game. I was just doing the things that you're supposed to do in this game. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't overthinking it. And I think that that's that's really the point that I want to make, is that if you're thinking really deep thoughts about how you're going to win this top 10 situation, I think it's more likely to mess up your game than to help your game. Totally. Yep. The, the more aware we are of it being endgame, the more pressure and kind of the po- more poorly we're going to do, Yeah, I feel. Definitely. I definitely put that pressure on myself sometimes. Um, yeah. Yeah. I find the more I play, the less I feel the pressure. And so it's interesting if I haven't played in a while and I come back to it, I'll feel the increase of the anxiety in the end game Mm, and -hmm. the stress. And I kind of, I like it, but it it definitely affects my performance. Um, It wouldn't be fun if it didn't cause us stress is another thing I want to say. That's true. Like if we, if we got too Zen about this and totally had control, I think it would get boring. So um, if you're getting stressed, that's a, a sign that you're doing something that is engaging to you and important. So I wouldn't sweat it a lot. Of course, we don't want it to totally compromise our ability and, and to choke, um, as, as Danielle put it. And I've, I've definitely done that. So yeah. anything you wanted to add to your general approach? I just wanted to say about the choking thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I learned a lot from Fuglet on this one. Mm. Fuglet really regularly in his videos, he'll be in a firefight and he's like, choking, I'm choking right now. And he'll be like, oh my God, I almost choked and lost that firefight. And I really love just watching him do that because it reminds me, like, you can do that to yourself. Like, I think talking to yourself is is big game. I do it a lot. Mm-hmm. So if I'm doing that, if I'm peeking and I'm missing my shots, I'll, like, duck back behind my cover and I'll be like, I'm choking. And then I'll, like, take a breath, recenter myself, aim and shoot. Like, that's what I'm doing here is I'm, you know clicking that icon on the desktop. And of course, it's not the same thing, but I really think that if you catch yourself choking and you just, if you have a moment to just stop and chill out, it can really make the difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's my tip. It's my I, top tip. Right. I, and that's like, that's all, it's, it's self-awareness is kind of the fundamental skill here, right? Is noticing when you're getting anxious. Yeah. Uh, and there's like a threshold for that for for me. And I don't always notice it at the same times, but... 
there's usually a point if I'm getting tense, I will notice, oh, okay, I'm getting nervous. My heart rate is up. My muscles are all a little tighter. And I'll, once I notice that, I'll take a breath. I'll just, it's just classic advice, right? Like you mm. just deep breath and do a few of those, especially in a situation where you're moving toward the smaller circle. There's only 10 people left, something like that. Usually I notice it when I'm like entering end game, but not in action, right? If you're in action, you don't, you don't have room to, to really reflect, but there's usually some room in there to kind of notice something like that. And then take a few breaths and you give yourself a pep talk Arjuna and I do something similar I, I don't know if I've really formalized it but I think something I do try to do is to say that okay like this is fun I'm excited to be an end game and whatever happens here is going to be like fun and exciting mm, right mm-hmm. and so like end game is a good death right it is so like however you die like god man me and you yesterday like we hardly got to end game we haven't played together in a little bit and like <laughs> we just got we could not get out of early game yeah and so when we finally got out of early game um and got further along it just it was a lot more fun and even though we didn't quite get to the final circle it was it was still exciting and it was like fun to be there you know and yeah. so yeah enjoy that um and acknowledge that you know it took some like pat yourself on the back if you've gotten that far so totally so have fun pat yourself on the back and uh remember your training remember your training which you should have been getting from this podcast (laughs) (laughs) and and no but you were saying you know just do what you you do to win the game which everyone knows just kind of they have their habits of okay find cover surveil if someone's shooting at you and you have cover and they don't, grenade them. You know, just all these little tips and tricks that are good tactics and strategies. Just remember, you know, keep your head. It's a normal game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say, last thought for me on this is that just about every time I've ever won a game of PUBG, it felt like an accident. Mm. It, it really did. I was like, I was playing my game and I was like, oh, I'm in the top five. Oh, wait, there's one person left. Oh, there they are. And then I kill them, you know? Mm. So that's that's a recurring theme for me. And you know, I th- but yeah. I hear you cussing every time you die yes. through the wall. And so I think it also feels, it doesn't feel like an accident when you lose. It feels like, yeah, it right. feels like um, the system is rigged. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. Oh, yeah, yeah. When I die, it's all my fault. But when I win, it's an accident. (laughs) Yeah. So, anyway. Good question. We could totally spend more time on that. And actually, it's it's something, and a lot of people respond to this stuff differently. And so, if people have input on that, I'd love to hear it in the Discord or via email or whatever. Yeah, me too. We could do a whole show. Yeah, which we will at some point. Moving swiftly on to current events in PUBG. We're trying this thing on the show where we're going to spend less time reading through show notes because you guys can do that. So we're just like picking out the hot takes from this stuff that we really want to talk about. And I would say that the big news in PC Patch 8 that just came out is the skins. So that's a cool thing. You can now get gun skins and... There are, Robin, you figured out that there are like two new skins for each gun in the game. Is that Roughly, right? Roughly, I just was 
what I did was look through the list and tried to find an occurrence of some of my favorite guns more than twice, and I couldn't. So typically, I think it's a good rule of thumb. There's two new skins for each weapon. Um, maybe three for the Scar, because it gave us that complimentary one. Which um, is pretty dope, by the way. Awesome. I like that skin. I love it. I, I have to say, I wasn't stoked about skins when they first released this patch and released the news about it, and I like them. I, I've mm. played with them a little bit, and I've... I think I have three or four of them from the crates and it's kind of refreshing. Just, yeah. a, I, I'm kind of not usually into the crate stuff. I'm still not going to buy crates. Probably. I tried to do that. I tried to sell some crates the other night just to buy some. And I don't know. I'm just still not, not feeling it. I just, yeah. You know, it's like a, once you buy one, you're going to buy like 10. It's like, <laughs> it's like yeah, you really need the skin. Like, <laughs> I yeah. didn't think I would notice it that much in the game either, having a skin. Uh, but you do. You actually see it quite a bit. Um, you do. Depending on the skin. Looks like some of them, like the the profile, not profile pic, but the example picture they have has one on the M4. It's just like digital kind of light and brown one. Yeah, and which then, is like totally the sexiest skin, by the way. It's, it's really like cool. really but, sexy skin on clearly the best weapon in the game. Right. So the, the main drawback, though, to this one is, and I haven't played with it, but from looking at it, the skin starts on the body of the gun where the magazine is and then is, is backward from there. So it doesn't go forward um, past about the front half of the weapon which is what you mostly see when you're running around oh, in first true. person. Yeah. And so that's a good point. I don't know. I'm just going to have to start playing in third person, Robin. Mm-hmm. Sorry, buddy. Fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> Got to brave the hackers for the skins, man. Do it for the skins. So you can pick up the skins in um, the Triumph crate, which is a paid crate. You have to get a key to unlock it. It's also a random crate. And... Then there's the Raider crate, which is a free non-random crate. And so these are two ways that you can pick them up. And so check them out. They're pretty exciting. I really like the, what are they called, Robin? The beige? It's like distressed Ru- beige. Rugged. <laughs> rugged beige. Yeah, 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 exactly. So Yeah, those are common. But they're cool. They're They're, they're good looking. Yeah, it just man. looks like, really it basically looks like your gun is muddy. Yeah, like you went four wheeling with your gun. That's <laughs> yeah, what it looks like. So um, they're also having this to celebrate the one year anniversary. They're doing a number of things. They're doing like some giveaways. You basically need to tweet stuff, and you can also submit graffiti to be put on a wall in the game, which is pretty sweet. That is cool. Yeah, so if you have a piece of original artwork and you don't mind signing off the rights to it for the rest of your life and all eternity over to Blue Hole, (laughs) then you can go ahead and post it on Twitter with the hashtag ThisIsGraffitiRoyale, and they will consider it for inclusion in their game. Mm -hmm. Yep, but I think that disclaimer is a good one. Um, Yeah. You know, knowing that... And I didn't really think about that signing over the rights might mean you might not be able to use it for your own purposes. right? Right. So if you wanted to like use it as part of your own business branding, they could like literally sue you for they that. They could. They really could. The fine <laughs> yeah. print gives them the right to do that. Yep. So just think carefully, folks. Yep. But think you know, carefully. you could have that's resume worthy shit right there. It's if, true. If you're into that, and you you could look at your art in the game. So another thing, they're actually it seems like just internally testing a method of region lock. 
And I really like what they've done here. So basically, they're taking away the ability for you to log on to a server other than your nearest regional one, except when you squad up with someone who's in another region. And when you do that, then you'll all have the option of joining whichever region is common to all of you. So I think this is like a really elegant way that they're working around this. And they haven't quite told us when they're going to roll it out or even if they're going to do it on the test server. It kind of made it sound actually like they weren't going to do a test server on this. They were just going to test it internally and then push it to the live server. I kind of, that's what I read from their patch notes, but who knows? This is Bluehole. They do what they want. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I read that they were looking into this solution seriously and that we might expect it in the future is my takeaway. And it's probably not on the test servers yet. But that's cool. We've been hearing about region lock for a while. We've talked about it on the show. Um, I think it's a good solution. So hopefully it resolves some of the hacking problems slash just general uh, language barrier problems, stuff like that. So yeah, totally, man. Now it's time for us to move swiftly along into our weapons segment. What do you think, Robin? Let's do it. I'm ready. Awesome. I'm there. So this week we are revisiting the AKM, but this time we are pitting it against the DP-28. Oh man, I'm glad you did the homework on these. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I sure did. I mean, I have opinions, but you're going to have to be the stat guy. Awesome. All right. All right. So yeah, the the clear reason in my mind why these two are comparable is that they are two non-sniper weapons that take 7.62 ammo in the game and they are both capable of full auto so um the the first thing that clearly differentiates these weapons is that one of them is an assault rifle and the other one is an lmg light machine gun Mm -hmm. so what are the qualities of a light machine gun well they typically have a large magazine size which the dp does it can carry 47 bullets loaded at a time. No extended mag, by the way. No extended mag. It's It starts extended. And then um, it takes forever to reload this thing, by the way. We don't have the specific numbers. They haven't data mined it, but hmm. it's like well over a second. And who it's the hell probably... has a stopwatch anymore? Yeah, man. <laughs> we ain't <laughs> yeah. got time for that. This is the 21st century, dude. We don't measure those things. So It yeah. takes a while. I will say that. It's probably like, what, it's probably like three seconds, right? I think my rough guess is just like twice that of an AR. Yeah. Like you, it's like you remove the record player on top and like polish (laughs) it and throw it in the bush and then you grab the other one and put it on top and polish it and clamp it on or something and then do the, uh, the bolt. It's a while. Yeah, yeah. you, you take the pizza like, off, you put it in the oven. Like, typical AR reloading time is just shy of three seconds, and this is probably four and a half, is my guess. Mm, okay. So, That's four and a to half know. to five. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that starting magazine size is significantly larger than the AK starting size, which is 30 rounds. So you get 17 more bullets in your magazine. But then, when you get it a quick draw, I mean, a, sorry, an extended mag or an extended quick draw for the AK, it goes up to 40. So it's almost there. Mm -hmm. Now, another thing to know about these weapons is that the DP is locked in full auto mode. So 
if you want a single fire, you're just gonna have to tap fire on that thing, which I don't know. I, I keep a lot of my guns in full auto anyway and just tap fire if I want, but it's good to know that it's just not an option on the DP, whereas it is on the AK. That can actually help when you're trying to snipe with it. Mm-hmm. So the one of the big drawbacks to the DP is you just can't put as much stuff on it. So like Robin said, you can't put an extended mag on it. There's no buttstock, there's no rails, there's no nothing. Mm-hmm. Basically, the only thing that you can put on this weapon is a sight. Mm-hmm. And it takes sights from red dot through 4X. So that's the most that you can put on there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you know, um, it doesn't have attachments, but it does seem to have a bipod. Yes. Right? Is there a, a st- significant stability boost to on top of just being prone? Yeah, I I mean, in theory, yes. Yeah. With this weapon and with the M249, I've found myself unimpressed with the the prone recoil performance. Mm. It's better, but it's still not great. Yeah, I think think the way I see it is if you have a red dot or holographic sight, maybe a 2x, and you go prone, you're still not going to go full auto fire on people long range. It's not going to happen. No. But what you can do is you can hit people at medium range in that situation. And by medium, I mean far end of 100 meters or less. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like 50 to 100 meters. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I've definitely had it help in that situation. I was getting shot. I was out in the middle of a field in um, Erangel, south of Pachinki. And someone starts nailing me, and I just have no idea where they're from. So I take like five steps, go prone turn around, I still don't see them, and five seconds later they start trotting across the field, and I just lay into them prone with the the um, DP-28, and they were they were gone pretty quick. Yeah, they yeah. were toast. Yeah. Nice. I think it's like one of these things where when going prone is tactically a good thing to do, then you'll get a little boost mm-hmm. with the DP. In my opinion, proning in the middle of a firefight is rarely the right thing to do, especially when someone can see you. If you can shoot someone, that means they can shoot you, and going prone is usually the wrong thing to do. Right. It depends, you know? Like yeah, that, it depends. Topographically, the fields are... They're not usually perfectly flat, flat and hills are never flat. <laughs> yeah, that's true. True. Truth. Um, yes. Yeah. Geography lessons from Robin. <laughs> true fact. True fact. Hills are yeah, not none flat. Yeah, none of these fake facts. <laughs> <laughs> like fax you know uh, so um so yeah that's my take on it i i don't think the proning is a significant improvement okay all right i see that but it's better it's better mm-hmm. yeah so yeah i think that the recoil is kind of gnarly on both of these weapons i like the fact that you can put that compensator on the ak which makes it a lot tamer And I'm just going to go ahead and say that I think that the AK is the better weapon when it's fully modded. So if you have a compensator and an extended mag on it, I just like it better. Mm -hmm. I've definitely confirmed this. The AK is more accurate at range. I was trying to snipe someone with a 4X with the DP, and it's, it's kind of a shit show. You can do it. But it's kind of a shit show. Yeah, that Whereas sounds terrible. The AK maintains pretty good accuracy at the far X range. It's not perfect, but it's pretty good. Well, you can do single fire is the main thing. Yeah. Sniping with the AK. Totally. Yeah. 
Yeah, and then even with an ATEX, it can be rough, but you can still do it. And I think one of the reasons they don't let you put an ATEX on the DP is like, there's just no point. Mm. There's just no point, man. You you couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. Mm-hmm. I will say, you, you said you didn't think the prone mo- modifier was significant. And just across the board, it is. And that it it's usually, it'll take your um, spread, from or recoil pattern rather, from it'll bring it to 60% of whatever it is when you're standing. Mm, that's cool. Yeah. Less, that's the modifier for ARs anyway. And we haven't, we don't have the data mine stat for the DP28. Yeah. But we can, I would, I would expect at least that um, as a modifier. Now it's, it's a bouncy gun by default. Kind of like, I think it's about as bouncy as the AK. Yeah, that's kind of my read on it too. Yeah, yeah. It feels like the AK, except you can't add anything to it, and mm-hmm. it's got a much larger magazine uh, mm-hmm. by default. And if you haven't extended on the AK, they're not that different. No, they're really not. Right. So. No. Now, one interesting thing to note is that the AK does do more damage, and it's it's not like a ton more damage, but it actually has some significant ramifications. Mm. So. To an unarmored opponent getting hit in the body, the AK does 48 damage. Basically, that means three shots to kill an unarmored opponent, but just barely. If they have any damage on them at all, it's two shots. And then with the level one vest, it's 33.6 damage. With the level two vest, it's 28.8 damage. And with the level three vest, it's 21.6 damage per bullet. So it's going to take five bullets to kill a level three armored opponent with the AK. That's not that many bullets. Like if you full auto someone with your AK, like let's say that close range and you hit all of those bullets, you're just going to take them down. So that's a cool thing to know. And of course it has that high hit uh, body impact power of 10,000. The AK does. Mm. I'm assuming the DP has a similar impact power, but Mm -hmm. we don't have the number. Mm -hmm. So Yeah. yeah. Now, when we compare that to the DP damage, it does only 46 damage to an unarmored opponent hitting in the torso. And then to a level 1 vest, it does 32 damage. Level 2 vest, 28 damage. Level 3 vest, 21 damage. Mm -hmm. So those, those are fairly comparable. But now, when we move on to headshot damage, there's actually some very telling differences here. So the AK... Uh, will do 120 damage to someone wearing no helmet if they're hit in the head, whereas the DP does only 107 damage. Mm. Then for a level 1 helmet, the AK does 84 damage to the DP's 75 damage. To a level 2 helmet, the AK does 72 damage, whereas the DP does 64 damage. And to a level 3 helmet, the AK does 54 damage, and the DP does 48 damage. Mm. And that's the most telling difference right there, is if you hit someone twice in the head with a level 3 helmet, mm-hmm. with the AK, you'll kill them. And yeah, the DP takes three bullets. That's true. But for most of those other tiers of armor, it's not it's not a game changer. Right? <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's so. true. Although, I don't know, man. Like, for example, with the level 2 helmet, right? The difference between 72 damage and 64 damage, like, that's that's a fairly significant difference, right? It is. Two headshots is still going to kill them in, in either case. 
You're not going to probably get two consecutive headshots. But it won't, though, is the thing. With the DP, it'll take three shots with a level three helmet. No, with a level three, yeah, yeah. But level two, you just mentioned. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, you're right. Yeah. So that's the case where it it does make a big difference. More than likely, you're going to be spraying upper torso level anyway, (laughs) right? And you're going to bounce and hit their head once. If you're, you know, usually you get that, like, lucky bounce headshot with these weapons. Mm Mm-hmm. So. So, Yeah. Guys, these weapons are pretty similar, but I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that I prefer the AK. I drop the DP anytime I find an AK, <laughs> and I drop both of them anytime I find a full auto mm-hmm. 5.56 rifle. Yeah. I, you know, I'm still, I haven't given up on the DP. I think <laughs> if I'm really trying to win, I'll use the AK. But there's just this fun factor for the DP28 for me. Yeah. That if I'm not feeling serious um not that i think it takes i don't think it's really unlikely i'll do well with it necessarily i just feel like it's got character and kills with it are more fun and i they're not that much less likely to get with the dp28 than with the ak and the ak is hard to get kills with as it is yeah so this is maybe an advanced weapon i'll say I like your rubric for if this weapon isn't good, then it has character. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's one of my favorite euphemisms. I'm going to start saying that. You know, guys, the revolver on Erangel has a lot of character. Yeah. Yeah, almost as much character as the S12K. I mean, the, the fun I feel when I get a kill with the gun is inversely related to how effective it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. That's a good point. So you're less likely to get the kill, but the reward is higher. Yeah. Well, so people in our community tend to agree because we did a poll on this and we, the votes were very clearly split. 75% preferred the AKM Mm -hmm. and only 25 liked the DP. Mm -hmm. And my guess is that a lot of that. people. (laughs) Yeah. My guess is a lot of those 25% would just, you know, that YOLO factor, right? Yeah, exactly. I yeah. need to party with those guys. Yeah, totally. So there you go. Just one more note about this. Uh, Robin and I both have to hang our heads in shame because neither of us were able to complete the winner-winner challenge. That's really what this challenge is all about, It's just to see if we can do things. <laughs> totally. And I will say in our defense that we tried and we found like one DP in our hour plus playing together. And then the next night I played about three hours solo and in squads and I didn't pick up a single DP. But you saw them. Uh, Well, another teammate got one in one game and that was it. Yeah. So just saying, guys, just saying. I didn't feel like I got a fair shot. Right. Well, you know, if you get it this next week, Arjuna, I'll still give you credit. Okay. All right. All right. Back in business. Yeah. Cool. So let's move on to our location highlight, which is Kameshki, which, you know, if you've never dropped here, you can be forgiven. This is actually a quiet... uh, It's a new town, Robin. This was not in the game. yeah. Relatively. Until... Compared to the beginning of time yeah (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. exactly yeah tell us about kameshki robin i like it i remember when they introduced it there was a lot of excitement uh because we hadn't gotten a new map at that point yet and so that's right was still the only one and so having a new town was a big deal 
And at the same time, they added some things just all over the northeast part of the island. I think there was an extra little settlement along the coast um, to the northwest of it. But it's a cool town. I like dropping there. It does tend to be pretty quiet. Maybe for squads, maybe another squad um, if it's on the flight path, right? And then if in duos, you'll see one to two other pairs with you. And, you know, similar ratio for, for solos. You'd see one or two others and i don't know i just like its remote feeling um the one of the caveats is you may not end up getting a car in town yeah that's rough if you don't there's some spawns up north but by the time you're running north you're running away from the circle usually and um you have to basically follow the road south and usually there's a car but there's definitely been some games for me where we drop there walk south for like a click and a half at least before we yeah. find a vehicle. Yeah. So you're like even looking for boats. At generally that point. you're going to find a car in town. Yeah. Uh, there's a spawn at the North end. There's a spawn in the middle and then just South, just South of Comeski. There's this other uh, kind of double settlement near the coast. And th- there's, I think two car spawns like right by it. Oh, so, nice. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I like it because it's just, it, I don't know. For some reason it still feels fresh to me, even mm. though it's been out for a long time. Mm. And I don't know how else to put my finger on it, except um, you, you kind of like quickly figure out who's going to survive. There's not very many people there and you have this kind of peaceful looting situation and you don't have to worry about people coming from the north or the east of you. Pretty much. Or really the west either. Really yeah. anywhere. No one's going to come to Kameshki after early game. Yeah. Unless it ends up in the end circle. Good point. Yep. Yeah. And it's it's definitely can provide enough loot to get a four squad going. I don't you're not all gonna come out of there with sweet loot, but it's it's enough for a four squad. And mm-hmm. then for a duo or solo it's more than enough. Mm-hmm. And the nice thing about it is that you can if you play your cards right or if the circle's right, you can sometimes hit Kameshki and then move up the hill to Stalba as well. Mm-hmm. And Stalba is also a lot better than it used to be. Do you remember when it was just ruins? Mm-hmm. That was just I remember I dropped there once and it was just like the, the Wait, saddest. Like they day. didn't have how yeah they didn't have houses or nope. with a satellite. It's nope. an observatory kind of thing there. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So now you know Stalb is actually a place you can go, mm-hmm. and so that's the thing that you can do afterwards. You can also just hit up settlements down the coast no, on I, your way to Lapovka. Understood. I I like Stalbury, but people do. It's a more popular drop spot. Yeah, and I, they, I think the loot is probably roughly the same. Yeah, and there's only one vehicle spawn up there, so <laughs> yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, WTF? What are you doing? You're going to be walking for half the game if you drop a Stalber, typically. Right. So, yeah, I'd say go to Kameshki. That's something that recommends Kamesh for sure. Yep. Yeah, Kameshki can also have boat spawns, which is cool. I don't know. I just think it's an interesting town. Now, one major point against Kameshki is that it doesn't have a diner. So, mm. if you drop hungry, <laughs> <laughs> you're going to go hungry. So, sorry about that. I bet they have a cafe, though. You think so? I mean, they have the little gas station up north. Like, That's true. It's like little, a hole in the wall. They, little they, Debbie and call it good. They probably <laughs> <laughs> they probably have corn dogs in there, mm-hmm. you know. So you can you'll find Henry there for sure. Mm-hmm. So where do you like to drop when we go here? 
I always go to the warehouse. Why? Okay. I guess you, you have the high ground. I'm a, I'm a warehouse kind of a guy. So yeah, Kameshki is okay. two parts. There's North Kameshki, which is higher, and then the South Kameshki, which is mostly lower. There's like uh-huh. a little garage on the hill, but it's mostly in a valley. And so I like that spot for a few reasons. Number one, because I'm just a greedy warehouse looter. And it's got those row of three little sheds next to it, which typically have like better than average loot in them. Do you think the warehouses have good loot? Yes. Okay. I I definitely think the warehouses on average spawn better loot. They'll give you like at least one juicy thing. Typically. Yeah. You'll like, you'll get an SKS or you'll get an eight times scope or you'll get a scar. Yeah. I mean, not always, of course, but Mm -hmm. I just find that I'm happier on average with a warehouse than I am with your average house. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah. So I drop at the warehouse because you can. it gives you options. You can go north if you need to go north. You can go south if you need to go south. You'll have high ground on the people south. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's so, just... Yeah, on the yeah, high ground I dig thing. It. So I always drop... I drop north too. So Kameshki, there's kind of two zones. And there's a north zone, which is high ground, and then the south zone, which is mostly houses. And then at the far end of the south side, they have that kind of gas station thing and the little... A garage or the car lot off to the west and i always drop very northwest of the north part which is this two-story building actually it's the same building that i drop at in the sunken city mm. right that same design yeah has mm-hmm. a flat roof with stair access actually the one in um, um sunken city doesn't have stairway access but this one does and so you loot the roof if you get a gun, you can kind of look at the buildings around you, see if people are running between buildings after they've looted one of the smaller buildings and are moving on. And it at least gives you a good overview of the most of the north section. And then you have two more floors to loot after you've looted the top. Now, it does tend to be kind of popular because it has a big flat landing zone up top. Um, but I like it when if I'm doing duos or squads, if someone will drop with me in the so just east of that flat two-story that i land on there's this house that's really common in PUBG, especially in pachinki where it's kind of a duplex it's in the sunken city too has a pitched roof and porches on both sides so it's mm-hmm. kind of longer mm-hmm. and on the the short ends kind of off to the, the ends of it it has these porches on the second story and, and they have garages underneath. Yeah, so. garages, kind of these weird like bay doors underneath mm-hmm. that are one room. And there's even a little tucked away room in the middle in the back. That, yeah, that yeah. like it's like a motorcycle garage. You probably couldn't fit mm-hmm. a Dacia in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's nice to have someone there because they can see anyone on the floors below mm-hmm. from their windows. Mm-hmm. And also, I if someone if an enemy landed there, I would have good. Um, vantage on them right from that flat two-story so that's kind of my pattern i'll loot the big flat two-story then head east loot that little doppel building whatever it is doppel porch building Mm -hmm. and then just kind of cruise around the north side yeah so there you go kamashki it's a charming little town Mm -hmm. just bring a lunch yes Cool, man. Are you ready to move on to our main topic of duos? Let's do it. Let's do it. 
So this is this is just kind of an overview of duo squad strategy. We the more we talked about it, the more we realized we had to talk about. And I think to start this off, Robin, you said something really great about duos kind of being prerequisite for squads. So can yeah. you say a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's a little microcosm for team play is the way that I think about it. Yeah. And any skill that you're going to need in duos, you're going to need basically twice as much in, in squads. Right. And so, you know, a big part of it is communication and also just thinking as a squad, how are we making decisions? How are we sharing things and talking to one another and giving each other information? That's all easier in duos than it is squads, but it's all essentially the same stuff. Mm, and so... I I often feel, and I'm, I've observed feelings of frustration in people I play squads with because it's hard. It's hard to play unless you're just like chugging beers and kind of being reckless and just having fun. You know, like whatever happens happens, kind of a thing. Yeah. Um. I think I think squads can be frustrating, and I think it's frustrating because it requires a lot of skills. And right. these, these are skills we're going to talk about with our duo stuff. And they're a little bit easier to quantify and practice in the duo scenario. Because mm-hmm. you have one other person to, to think about and talk with. So, yeah, that's the, yeah. that's my take on that. So let's cool. jump into it. The yeah, details. and I just, just to clarify, I tend to think of duos as being kind of the meeting of solos and squads. It's kind of like half of the... St- half of duos feels like squads and the other half of it feels like solos to me. Mm. So I think some of these tips go one way or the other Mm. in that direction. Right. Yeah. Right. So like for starters, for example, the places you can drop, uh, you have more drop options in duos than in squads, but not as many as in solos. Mm -hmm. So, uh, here, here are some good drop locations that I think are specifically good for duos and that can well kit out two people. So on Erangel, the mansion and the hill house, that little complex is really good for duos. Prison is also really good for duos. I've dropped prison with some four squads recently, and I've just repeatedly discovered that it's not enough loot usually for a four squad. Mm. Um, Milter power, the little power complex, that can sometimes be enough for a four squad, but it's great for duos. Also, the farm, ferry pier. And then if you move more west on Arangol, there's like that really big main wheat field, which is kind of, yeah, it's like on the mid-western side of the, the main island, has a series of compounds kind of around the edge of it to the like the south and the west. And all of those compounds are typically great places for a duo to land. So, yeah, that's that's on Erangel. Do you have any other drop locations on Erangel to recommend, Rob? I mean, it's just, there's so many. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For yeah. duos, you can go a lot of places. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. On Miramar, a few recommendations would be the power grid, water treatment, the any of the smaller cities, like, um, what's that? La Cobreria North. It's mm-hmm. a great place to drop with a duo. The Graveyard is a good place to drop. Minas Generales. Minas is always good. It's always good. Yeah. But there are so many huge drops in Miramar that it's kind of like 
any size of squad can drop at those places. Right. Yeah. The only other thing I wanted to say about dropping is that in duos, you got to stick together in the in the beginning phases. Mm-hmm. So if you're thinking about getting clever and dropping on the opposite side of Minas Generales, like it's just not going to work out if anyone yeah. else shows up. And it's I, I think that's true throughout the game in duos, really. Yeah. I would prefer when I'm playing with someone in duos that they just pretty much stay within a building of me and yeah. I stay within a building of them throughout the game. Because there's... In squads, I understand there's there's pressure to get loot. Right. And it's hard to track all of the players around you while you're looting. So you kind of will go find your own zone. Yeah. You don't have to think about it. And it's just not that hard to keep track of one other player. So no. it's a good practice anyway. Just to... And it's kind of hard to do. I don't know if it's the UI or the map. But I actually find it a little tricky. It always takes me a second to exactly locate uh, where I am and where the my teammate is. Yeah. And kind of spatially put that together. But right. duos is good practice for that. And especially yeah. practice for doing that. Uh, so when you go into squads, it's not, it's not as much time to look at and process the map and figure things out. Right. So. So, yeah. And, you- and the leapfrog loot, loot mechanic works really well. So that would be loot a building. And while you're looting that, if you're looting a row of buildings, it works well. So you'll loot one and your squad mate or duo mate in this case would loot the one past you. And while they're, when you finish your building, you loot the one past them. Right. And so you're always within a building of each other. You're still moving. Totally. And there's kind of a general, sometimes unspoken consensus about the direction you're moving in. And that helps you to not get split up. And it also helps Mm -hmm. you to predict like, if you're like, okay, this person, we're kind of moving in a westerly direction through this town. And then suddenly if you hear someone to your east, you're like, you're like, no, that's not my teammate. You know, you don't even have to take that second to figure it out. Right. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah, you can, you can even come up with some tighter communications around this. But as a general principle, yeah, stick together, try to move in the same direction when you're looting. Mm-hmm. Greatly increase your chances of winning. Yeah. And I, yeah. I think playstyle plays into this a lot because some yeah. people, they don't like to communicate. It's just true. <laughs> like it's like I'm thinking about what you said about the unspoken. You can there's an unspoken direction, and I'm always one. I'd like things to be explicit just so like we have kind of a plan. And I I I know from playing with people that some people kind of they don't want to do that really, meaning they're not going to shout out kind of a clear plan there's something about i think some people get a kick out of feeling really loose yeah and Mm -hmm. kind of by the seat of their pants in their play style and that's fine right or it's Um, almost like a trickster energy you know i've noticed this some people in this game kind of actively enjoy the gentle antagonism that comes from not communicating with their teammates mm. so that's just something i've noticed okay yeah, it's maybe one in four people I play with exhibits that quality. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, cool. that's that's a, a style thing where I, I like the communication, and this is a good place to practice that. It's just harder to communicate with four people. Um, who knows? Maybe some of them are people you don't play with much, and you don't want to be overbearing or sound dumb or whatever. And so um, duos is like a safe place. Yeah. Yeah. It's a happy place. It's a happy place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, now moving on, I'm just going to bang through a number of quick points here that are good to remember when you're in duos, and then we'll hit a few more in-depth points towards the end of this segment. 
So the first thing I wanted to say in the quick points is that maybe, Robin, maybe we can alternate these bullet points. Does that sound good? Sounds good. All right. So the first one is that stealth is still a thing. Now, you can, you can work stealth to your advantage in any mode, but it gets harder the more people you're working with. And I find that duos is like still, you can still pull off some pretty stealthy maneuvers. So it's worth using whatever weapons you have suppressors for. And the kind of like proning in the grass game is still a thing that you can pull off in duos. Like when you're trying to get four people to prone in the grass, you usually don't get away with it. That sounds fun though. I don't think I've even ever tried that. (laughs) Yeah. On the fog map, I remember we used to do it a lot. Oh man, I want to try that now. Yeah. Like I don't see why it wouldn't work. I mean, of course (laughs) you're more likely to be detected because there's four prone people scattered, but... Yeah. You're even more likely to be seen if all of you are standing. I think yeah, there's a case true. to be made here. Okay, fair enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that that's that's my little recommendation there. So how about this next one, Robin? All right. So loot sharing and deciding where to go next are all simpler. Yep, that's duos. true. Yep. Yep. Good point. Um, and to follow that up, just try try to remember not to get split up. We already said it, but it's easy. It's easy to tunnel vision. It's easy to get an idea in your head. It's easy to not communicate about it, but just try to hang tight and make sure that if you are splitting up, there's a good reason for it. And we'll cover that a little later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't put two people on the same motorcycle if you can help it. Obviously, if you crash at a high speed, you will both die. This yeah. has happened to me. It's, it's a quickest very, way to die. In a duos. very quick way to die. Yes. <laughs> yep. yep. You just cruise in and someone hits a tractor and that's it. <laughs> and game over, man. Yeah. Yeah. So they call it breakneck speed for a reason. Yeah. Speaking of hitting a tractor, an obvious point is whoever's driving, they don't get to look at the map. The passenger's yes. job is to look at the map and make decisions. Yes, so. exactly. Mm-hmm. This is a very good team, like squad-based skill set to develop is to know, like, when do I have to do this role? Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's a really classic as one, a, Yeah, As a passenger, be proactive about it, because yeah. if you aren't, your driver's going to be tempted to check the map, and you guys are going to hit a tree. Yeah. And you're just instantly going to explode and die. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's just guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So another thing here is that I wrote here, too, is a very manageable number of crates to get in a game. So I mean airdrop crates here. Um, it's not that hard to get both of you an airdrop weapon in duos. So that's mm-hmm. just something to think about. And a further nice thing about going for airdrops in duos is that you can use another classic squad tactic here where one of you goes for the crate, like drives up to it, hopefully, and drops the other one off like 50 to 100 yards away. And so your other team member is going to provide you cover for the, you know, semi-inevitable like other vehicle pulling up or someone hiding behind that tree across Mm -hmm. the way Mm -hmm. so you know give the person with better long-range ability just drop them off somewhere i have you know i think people both of you should just loot the just go to the crate and go into loot mode for a solid 60 seconds (laughs) yeah the person who's not getting the crate should just like go in their inventory and fuck around. Yeah, do some. This is a great time to do inventory management. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah, it's also a great time to regret your life's choices as well. <laughs> no, yeah. I like that advice. I I prefer it too. I, even the driver should get the crate, right? 
Um, So the driver drops someone off away from it and then goes and parks, gives themselves a little bit of cover with the vehicle. And the person they left might be able to, maybe leaving them just within grenade range so that they can chuck a smoke at it. Why not? Yeah, that's a a good idea. Everyone knows you're there. So just smoke it. Right. Good point. Yep. And I wrote another thing here. When you are, when you do kill people and you're looting death crates, again, like, don't have both of you looting at the same time. It's just a terrible idea. You, what you do is one person loots, the other person covers. You just stand there and keep running those 360 rotations, see if you see anyone. And then if you don't, you guys switch out. And it's just surprising how many times you'll forget to do, you will forget to do this and you will die as a result of it. So just try to be vigilant about that because it's easy to relax and forget the fact that this is a game full of homicidal ninjas hiding in bushes <laughs> waiting for you to do stupid things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, revives are super important. You have one teammate, revive them. Yeah. And we actually did this the other night. I think Robin and I did really well the other night. We were playing this more extended game. And there was a critical moment when I got knocked and Robin came and revived me. And I think it really, it's just like in a squad, you can kind of let it hang for a while because there's multiple of you. You can have a few of you get knocked before you really have to prioritize it. Mm -hmm. But in duos, it's like you just, you don't have that luxury. Mm Mm-hmm. This next point we already covered a little bit, but movement hopping is really good, not just for looting, but when you're moving through the environment. It's just a classic tactic, man. One person moves and the other person covers. And then when the first person who moved reaches the next piece of cover, then they cover the person who is behind them. Yep. This is straight from Lethal Weapon, guys. Yep. (laughs) Every time you do it, you have to say, cover me! Yep. And then the person covering just has to, like, spray their Uzi right up into the air. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly how you cover. (laughs) That's how you cover, guys. (laughs) Maybe not in the air, but just spray it, like, to the left of your teammate running forward and then to the right. And then to the right, (laughs) exactly. That's a good cover technique, even if there's no one there, okay? Make them dance. Make your teammate dance, (laughs) you know? That we're not here to fuck around. Yeah, you know, it'll bring the enemies to you so that you can kill them faster yeah. too yeah yeah it's good i love the move the cover um and move tactic the person mm-hmm. who's covering has uh cover right and so they can stick their head out a little and shoot and the other team's going to be worrying about that big juicy target that's moving out in the open and so it's kind of really nice just have the other guy dashing around one of you's behind cover you're trying to get those headshots so yes indeedy all right breaching houses um so that obviously nades are always a great way to breach a house people like the second story so you have about a 30 percent chance of killing anyone if you throw one into the second story where you know people are Mm -hmm. and then while you're doing that you can um the other guy can cover the stairs in the house to make sure no one comes down um if they're trying to run away from a grenade or something totally so yeah, it's two is kind of a magical number for dealing with two-story houses. You can do things like you can both run in opposite doors at the same time. You can both run up the stairs together. And we'll cover this a bit more later, but just the quick version, if you are running upstairs in duos, the person in front should crouch and the person behind should stand. And that's just that you can shoot in the same direction without killing each other. 
So that's like a nice little trick. But you can also do things like one of you can rush inside, and then if someone tries to jump out, then you can have a person outside just waiting to nail them. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of different things that you can do, but just try to don't just like go into you know Unreal Tournament mode and just run in there and willy nilly. Sh you know, like if if you think people are in houses, like communicate. I'm gonna do this, you do that, mm -hmm. right? Get confirmation. Well, we're talking about consent here, people. Yeah. This is a duo is a great way to work on your consent culture. So tell someone what you want to do, make sure that they're cool doing it, and then do it. Mm -hmm. I think breaching houses and buildings is one of the most exciting things in any shooter. Yeah. And PUBG is great for it because you have the lean mechanic. And so pushing through hallways and houses with two people, um, it, preferably the guy in front, if, if they can, be crouched just so that guy behind can shoot over you. And yeah, super fun. Yeah. Great way to practice. Mm -hmm. So also, it looks like uh, trying to cover the 180 degrees that the other isn't covering is a good tactic. Meaning yeah. uh, if you're moving through a landscape it, or even just camping a house, it makes sense to say, hey, I'm going to be looking west and you, you look east yeah. or whatever the situation is. Definitely. Yeah, it's just less less attention you have to pay. Mm -hmm. And another good thing in houses, if you're doing that, try not to camp the same room in a house because if someone lands a really good surprise nade on you, you don't want it to kill both of you. So mm -hmm. take different rooms. It's cool if one of you gets knocked, the other one will just run in and revive you. It's mm -hmm. all good. Mm -hmm. And here's another general tip that applies to duos well because there's two of you and you have four eyes, which is if you're in a an engagement with another duo or person or whatever that if some of these can take a while especially if both squads have cover and it's good to have one person be continually engaged with that squad and keep the pressure up on them and have the other person periodically be checking the flanks especially if you know there's other people in the area don't forget about them right and so that's super important we did that yesterday a bit and it worked out really well for us just to have one of us kind of checking our back and making sure we were taking care of it so yeah it's so easy to tunnel vision in this game guys and it so often results in death mm -hmm. so just think about it you know if you're in a duo and you hear like this extended engagement going on over the hill in the back of your mind you're going to be thinking those guys are busy right so if you're at all brave or ballsy you might try to go and get the surprise on someone. So just anticipate that someone's going to do that to you as mm -hmm, well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So um, that's all of our quick points. We're going to get a little more in depth here with a couple of points. First one, we want to talk about the bait and flank technique. Ooh, I love this one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so this is kind of, I, I guess, do you want to explain this one a little bit? Kind yeah. of the basics of it? Yeah, totally. So when you do this tactic, you have two roles. You have the beta and you have the flanker. And what the beta is trying to do is the main job of the beta is just to call attention to themselves without dying. So the perfect place to play this role is, uh, and I should just start out by saying that this doesn't really work that well if someone's right on top of you. So like if you're in a very close range encounter, it's probably best to just, you know, be efficient and just try to win your fight right there. But if you have a little more range, like like let's say that you're on a hilltop and then maybe 50, 75 yards away, 
there's like another little hill and there's another duo on it and you start shooting at each other, right? Mm-hmm. Then the what the beta has to do is to keep those people engaged. And you have to really rely on your cover here because your main goal is not to kill someone. Your goal is just to keep them busy. Mm-hmm. And then the flanker, what the flanker does is just pull a flank. The flanker is going to try to find a way to get behind or at least sideways on that other team in a direction they're not going to be looking, so in a direction away from the beta. And the flanker, the flanker's main job is two things. The flanker has to not get seen pulling the flank, and then the flanker has to actually kill the two people once mm-hmm. they get there. Mm-hmm. And there are a few ways to do this. Like, for example, you can, if you're really good at nades and the two people are clustered together, you might be able to just pull off a a two-person wipe with one nade. Or you could toss a nade and knock one and then gun the other person down in the confusion. Mm -hmm. But the reason this works so well in duos is that it's not that hard for one person to take out two people if they're both close together and if they're both paying attention to someone else. Mm-hmm. So I, I really like this technique. Like sometimes I've been in four squads and someone will try to flank and they'll knock like two people out, but then they'll get killed. And then sometimes it's actually just counterproductive. You lose one teammate, they revive the other two and you're kind of back to your square one. Mm-hmm. But in duos, you just have a much better chance of killing both people when they're occupied. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. I really like this tactic. Um, and I think the fl- that it's important to emphasize that the baiter in this case isn't really trying to do a lot of damage. Mm, mm-hmm. And I, I say that because I think if you attempt to, you're going to end up peeking too long, you're going to have two people looking at you, and you're going to end up dead. And exactly. so really the point is to have some cover where you can peek on different sides, but do these really brief peeks where you're keeping the pressure up, but not exposing yourself to damage. And, exactly. Because if once if you go down, then you know you've just made yourself a liability, and the bait flank thing doesn't really work. Now <laughs> your other teammate is going to have to kill both of them to save your ass. Exactly. And you're probably going to have to kill them first, right? Right. Or they, they will have to kill them first. Right. Especially if you're halfway into your flank maneuver. Right. Because they're going to be what twenty seconds away at this point. Something if, like that. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, getting that flank where, you know, I'm just imagining two people in the woods, they have cover from the baiter, and then the flanker has easy headshots, right? And, yeah. And once w- the first one's down, they're going to be onto you. But if they rotate their cover, they're probably going to expose themselves to your baiter. So, right. That's mm-hmm. it. That's one of the reasons why the bait and flank works so well is that it's much harder to take cover from two totally different angles. Mm-hmm. Like, if if someone can see you from one angle... They often can't see you from another angle, but if you have both of those angles covered, then they're just fucked. Right. Now, places this won't work is complex environments. Obviously, if people are in a house, having a different angle isn't usually super helpful. Yeah. Or if they're in a cluster of buildings and you're trying to do a bait and flank there. Um, but if people are outside of a building, then bait and flank will work. Or in the woods. I mean, trees are they're one-way cover, right? Yeah. Like, you get exactly. covered from one angle and that's it. So this is perfect exactly mm-hmm. yeah so baiter i would say baiter should take a rock um so that they can't get flanked right yeah as, we, that's as a good easily point. and then you know some good solid cover for the baiter. yeah the beta definitely needs to have cover they can rely upon yeah so that's key 
and it's also good to have the beta have some some meds because they're probably going to get shot a bunch Mm-hmm. So, you know, beta, you can stick your head out, take a shot or two, just huh. put on your yeah, meds. Yeah. Interesting and then, to think about, right? Because they should yeah. have, they should probably have better armor and shittier guns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, you know, maybe some, some long distance guns. And on the off chance that the beta does manage to down someone, then that just puts you in an even better position. I think the, the beta, if they have a sniper, is ideal. Because exactly. then you take out one in a headshot. Exactly. Did I say beta? Yeah. I actually meant flanker. Oh, you meant the flanker. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, The flanker should have a sniper because then they're they going to get just, that surprise headshot on somebody. They can just down the first person. Yeah. And then the yeah. second one, you know, maybe that person still trying to figure out what's going on you might be able to land one on them if not just switch your ar yeah that person might think that the beta was the one who landed the headshot Mm -hmm. and then that just gives the flanker even more i didn't see that peak what the fuck (laughs) yeah yeah they're reporting it you know yeah fuck that guy (laughs) china number one (laughs) so yeah anyway i think that's that's enough on that one do you want to talk a little bit about robin came up with like a communication I, I style for think duos. Of this shit yeah. and hardly ever trying to implement it but yeah i'm still trying to pursue the dream here which is <laughs> so i'm calling this segment efficient comms and the idea is that we have keywords that we can use in battle to to communicate where we don't have to explain a lot what's happening or who where somebody is things like this so when we're talking about the enemy, I was throwing around some terms that might work for this. And it's good to to be able to talk about enemies separately. So if you come up on a group of two, I mean, it's easy to say left or right. Um, and that's useful. I think another term is close and far. Now, mm, you could say the one. close one, which is fine, or the far one. Um, I was thinking about just saying close, like I'm moving in on close or... I'm going to flank far and close and far represent the the players in this case. And just, and, and part of it is once we start thinking of players, at least in these terms, I think close and far are useful terms to think of the enemy that we can talk about developing tactics and practicing tactics using those concepts. So I th- a general good practice is to shoot the enemy that's closest to you. And it's in whatever game mode, right? And so they're going to have, they're going to be able to deal the most damage. They're going to be able to aim more effectively than whoever's further away. And so focus firing the close person is a good practice. And yeah, um, and let's talk quickly about focus firing and what that is. Okay. So focus firing is when multiple of you are shooting at the same one target. Mm Mm-hmm. And this is something that we recommend not only in duos, but in all squad modes. And the reason for this is that if you have three people and they're all shooting, let's say you have two squads of three and each squad picks, like each member of each squad picks a member of the other squad to shoot at, right? Then what you essentially have is three 1v1s and whoever wins each of those 1v1s wins. And it's a little bit of a hectic way to fight. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if three people are shooting at one person, they're going to down that person almost instantly. Mm-hmm. And then if those three people then switch to the next person, they're going to down that person almost instantly. 
And it's just basically the, the math on the damage works a lot better when you have multiple people shooting at mm -hmm. one person. Right. And so I, I think that's, that's what focus firing is. And there's a psychological component here too, where, where and, and it kind of goes back to the choking thing we were talking about earlier, where if one of your squad mates goes down, every, for every squad mate you have and they die, the pressure increases on yes. the survivors. <laughs> yes, that's true. Right? So if you're in duos and your squad mate goes down, your duos mate goes down, then the pressure is all on one person. That's a big increase in responsibility, right? Mm -hmm. I was, you know, like, fuck, I thought I could just hide in this bush for this firefight and now I have to, like, save you and shoot people. And <laughs> same thing for squads is the, if you take someone out on the enemy squad, the pressure is on for that squad to fix that situation, and yeah. you now have the advantage um, tactically and psychologically. Totally. So if focus fire creates that advantage more quickly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so what we were talking about is this kind of defaulting to if you have a choice between focus firing the person who's closer or the person who's further away, you're probably going to want to prioritize the person who's closer. Now... I think the exception to this rule is if the person, let's say there's a person who's close to you, but they don't actually know where you are. They haven't seen you yet, but then they have a teammate who's a little further out who has seen you and they start firing. It's important to shoot at the person who's actually shooting at you first. Mm -hmm. So that's just in general in PUBG. If you have a choice between who to shoot first, you want to shoot the person who's shooting at you or the person who's looking at you. Mm -hmm. So that's that's just, sometimes it's not always clear and you don't have the time to figure it out. But if you do actually have the time, then that's kind of the priority. Yep, yep. for sure. Okay, uh, and that's, that's a case where if they're baiting and flank, or not baiting and flanking, but doing the move cover tactic, shoot the shooter, not the guy who's moving. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Okay, so next is just general... Uh, what is kind of call-out worthy information in duos or in any game mode um, is you want to be calling out where people are and that includes where they might be moving to. Uh, that's kind of obvious. And I think something that people don't often say that's really important is where they're looking. So you both might know where they're at, but if let's say one of you doesn't have eyes on them, we need to know, so like in the bait flank situation, if the flanker draws attention and, and suddenly takes the enemy fire, they want to communicate that so that the baiter knows that they can fully expose or, or peek and start shooting, mm. right? Good call. Um, and this, is, this, this will divide the attention. I, in my ideal coordinated firefight, whoever's, like if I'm taking fire, I have cover and you're out shooting. And then once you start shooting, you're ultimately going to take the fire because they're not going to ignore you. And once yeah. they do that, I'm going to stop taking cover. I'm going to peek out and shoot. Totally. And so we're, we're totally alternating on who's, who's vulnerable and who's being active. Yeah. Right? And so that's kind of what I'm getting at here is, um, so if I was playing with you, Arjuna, and I said, oh, they're looking at me or, or they're like, I have their attention. That to me is synonymous with me telling you to shoot them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Anytime I say, oh, they're looking at me, that means, all right, guys, like, stop metting, you know, 
stop doing whatever you're doing and and find some cover and take their attention back so that we can keep them split keep their attention jumping from one place to another that's a really good point Mm -hmm. and it's one of the benefits of splitting up is that you get the confusion factor goes way up because people are less often expecting to get flanked in duos than they would be in squads Mm because there's just a lot less people per team Mm -hmm. yeah Let's talk about that splitting up. Um, We just wanted to discuss the relative risks and rewards of splitting up because there are both, Mm -hmm. right? So we we just went through a scenario in which splitting up was beneficial, but there are a lot of times when it's not so beneficial. So which which do you want to talk about first? Do you want to talk about the rewards first or the risks? I think it makes sense to talk about the risk first. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so obviously, kind of touched on this earlier, but if your teammate's too far away trying to do a flank or something, you might not be able to revive them, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, either they'll get knocked if they don't have good enough cover. They cover. They're just going to be finished right away. Yeah. Or the team will have time to move up on them and finish them off before you get there to intervene. Totally. Mm-hmm. And you- in general, it's just when you split up, you increase the risk that one of you runs into two of them. Right. And 2v1 is just bad math. Or so. even worse, you end up running into another squad. And you try <laughs> <flag>. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then it's like it's like 1v2v2, right? Yeah. Yeah, which is pretty rough. So, you know, map awareness. Yeah. You know, keep your eyes peeled. Yeah. So, that, but that goes with our next point, which is just you have a higher risk of being outnumbered. And then just more movement in general. Whenever you split up a team... I, I kind of imagine a bubble around each of them of visibility. And, and if you're together, you have the same bubble of visibility, meaning that you're likely to be seen within that bubble. And once you separate, those bubbles move apart and whoever's within those bubbles has a likelihood of seeing either of you, right? And totally. so you kind of, ex- the overall exposure of your, your duos or your squad goes up when you yeah. split up. It's kind of like imagine... If you were both carrying a flare that was going off, like the further apart you get, the greater likelihood there is that someone's going to see one of those flares. Whereas if both flares are right next to each other, it's about the same amount of visibility as just having one flare. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's that's just something that Robin teaches a lot is that kind of the more movement you have, the more chance you have of getting spotted. Mm-hmm. So it does, it just kind of generally increases the risk that more people are going to see you. And it does increase the risk that you're going to have one of these fighting more than one squad at once scenarios. Mm-hmm. And those are typically the most disastrous. Like the worst case scenario is that you have two groups of two people who are both trying to kill you at once. That's a very, very difficult situation to come out of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, what are some of the rewards? Um, we talked about if you have specific tactical maneuvers that you're trying to pull, then those can definitely bring good rewards. But we were also talking about there can be some rewards just in general to splitting up in the very late game. Like we were talking about six or fewer players. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's get into that a little bit, Robin. Why might it be better to do that? In the final circle... Having the angle advantage and ability to see players from different angles, I think the importance of that goes up. Mm. Also, having those two sets of eyes to see things, just to notice things. 
if you're both proning on the same edge of the circle going the same direction, you're basically going to see the same things. Totally. But if you're moving along the circle in opposite direction, say from the same point, say you hit the circle together and you both start scooping the circle in different directions, you're going to see different things. And I kind of like the idea of scooping the circle um, a little bit apart, but maybe even in the same direction. Because once you start going in different directions and you get really split up, yeah. um, if it's a kind of medium, small circle, um, yeah, which so is what where you want to use this. So we're thinking like six to 10 players is when you want to start thinking like, hey, you and I might not want to be right on top of each other. Yeah. Because um, once they've acquired one target, they've acquired both. Yeah, exactly. If you're really close to each other. Exactly. So. And there's just so many of these scenarios. Like I think duos is actually maybe the worst for this where mm -hmm. you can go from being alive to being totally dead in duos very quickly mm -hmm. because let's if there are two people who both see you before you've seen either of them and they have an angle on you they'll melt you yeah and so it can be really hard to recover from that so yeah having having space between you it can prevent you both getting mowed down in the same spray mm -hmm. it can prevent you both getting down by the same grenade um, it can prevent you both getting stunned by the same grenade. Yeah. Now, another thing here is there's a different way to think about this, which is instead of being in separate places, having different degrees of visibility might have a similar effect where if they see, if one of us is running around crouched or running around standing up and looking for what's going on, this is especially true in first person where being crouched or standing is better to see. Mm then someone will likely spot them, but not your teammate that is in a bush or um, prone mm, good near point. you. And so if your squatted or standing teammate starts to take fire, and let's say they're not sure exactly where from, but have a general sense of the direction, they could maybe move away from them into cover, and the person who's prone could just stay put and wait for them to advance, and they might not even know they're there. Right. So it's a really good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, yeah, if you have both of you doing the same thing in the same spot, there's just a greater likelihood that something's going to go wrong. Right. I think the main point here is both of you running full speed, standing up in the same spot is kind of just a better idea. It's, <laughs> it's not great for endgame. Yeah, and another thing is if you're both peeking the same corner, you're just going to stack up on each other, and that's not going to work out very well. Mm -hmm. You don't. You never want to get in a situation where you're so cramped that you're shooting each other instead of and if your you're opponent. doing that you're gonna both get naded at the same time exactly <laughs> it's it's gonna happen yeah so yeah it's it's really nice and and another thing that i think about a lot is that because because you're still in duos and it's not squads like secrecy is just so important in the final circles like not people not knowing where you are is really huge and so it's like as soon as someone discovers where you are, they might start shooting at you. But if your teammate is has a different angle, they're just going to have a better likelihood of being able to take those people out. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I just I think there are a lot of benefits to splitting up in the late game specifically. Mm -hmm. Another thing is, I know when I go out alone, I I know I'm on my own, and so I'm a little more conservative and careful about mm. how I'm moving. That's not always true, but yeah. it can be true. Sometimes I'm like, all right, I got the flank. It's like last action hero time. You know, <laughs> just like go for it. But yeah, um, I think it's good to think about it when you're out on your own to treat 
both parts of the duo at that point is as if you're playing solos. It's mm-hmm. a good um, point. And so do the usual stuff. Like you died in the duos last night toward Endgame, and I was just like proning around, yeah, and being super cautious not to be seen by other sets. And if you both play that way and, and are slightly separate from each other, you're probably you're gonna survive a bit longer. Yeah, it's a good point, and I really like what that I saying. Point. Survive long. You're gonna get a fucking chicken dinner. <laughs> I guarantee yes. it. Yes. I, it's a really good point you raise, Robin. I want to underscore that. That, And I noticed that this is a big problem in my play, is that I tend to get kind of more relaxed and more carefree when I'm playing in squads. I tend to bullshit a lot. There's a lot of radio chatter. Mm-hmm. And the quality of my game just drops dramatically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I've really noticed that. And so, And I think that's fine. You know, you play to have fun, and that's all good. But in those final circles, I feel like everyone has a certain point, whether it's 10 people alive or 20 people alive, everyone has a certain point where they switch into like win mode, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And at that point, you really you really need to up your game. You need to like cover your angles. You need to move stealthily. Mm-hmm. You need to not say random shit that's not relevant to the game. And as <laughs> as soon as you're dead or as soon as you win that chicken dinner, you can go back to your like 80 to 90% bullshit routine. Right, right. But just for that one like five minutes or even like three minutes, mm-hmm. you just, you got to switch. You got to switch your mode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So there's one final point I want to make about duos, which is something I notice when you and I play together, sometimes Arjuna, which is there's just more space to talk about the game and to debrief about kind of what went well and what didn't. Mm, I think kind of the more people who are there, the more kind of social slash, like, it depends on who you're playing with. People who, who value getting better at the game if you're in a squad with everyone who values getting better and figuring out how to do that, then it might be a great squad for that as, as a place to talk about, hey, what went good about that situation um, when it when it went well? And if it went badly, you say, hey, how did that, like, what could we have done better there? Like, what did we do wrong? Um, and sometimes you just don't do anything wrong. Sometimes it's just, you know, people get the job on you. Sometimes but. it's just fucking bullshit. <laughs> sometimes, exactly. <laughs> but... I, I like duos because it's just it feels easier to kind of talk about what you want and you can use that space to talk about how to get better at PUBG, which is yep. what we do here at Winner Winner. I love it. I love it. And it's not to be underestimated, especially you're playing with your friends often, you're playing with the same people over time, and it's a relationship just like any other relationship. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to underestimate how important it is in your lives, but... You know, I like I've spent like eight hundred hours playing PUBG. It's important. I don't to want me. to see how much I've played. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a big part of my social life as well, and so it, it's important to me that those relationships go well. Mm-hmm. So you know, set aside your machismo for a moment, put down your guns, have a little heart to heart with your fellow players. Mm-hmm. Share a bush. Share yeah. it. You know, just share. Share a your bush. bushes, guys. <laughs> That's going to be our next winner winner t shirt right there. Share a bush. And I think that's a great place to wrap up this episode 18. It's been awesome having you guys. I'm really glad personally that we're back to a bit more of our traditional programming. Mm-hmm. We kind of went off the rails there for a while. Mm-hmm. There's but, a lot of current events and. 
Yeah. Anyway. We just, we didn't want to get soft. We didn't want you guys to think that we weren't thinking about terse, pithy, strategic tips Mm -hmm. for you to win your chicken. This is the point in the episode where we usually tell you guys what we're doing next week, but we actually have some special plans that may be coming to fruition. So we're going to have to keep our lips sealed for the moment. So, yep, just stay tuned. Could be something fun next week. We'll see. So thanks for joining us again for another episode of Winner Winner. You can always find us in many places. We have our Discord server, which is a really cool spot to meet people. And we're trying to get more discord members because we're trying to get that custom server access so please spread the word try to get people in the discord if you play with folks in your own discord maybe try bringing them into our discord even just for one night it helps to build our community and it helps us to get closer to that goal of getting custom server access we want them and everyone wins when we get custom servers everyone wins yes yeah you can also find us on our subreddit which is in the show notes. You can send us an email to winnerpodcast at gmail.com. So those are just some great ways to get in touch with us. And of course, if you have a few cents jingling around in your pocket, you can submit those to our Patreon every month. And it's great. It just helps to pay the bills. It helps to keep us motivated to do this show. It takes tens of hours of work every week for Robin and I to make this show. And so getting some money for it is a nice incentive. Uh, Robin, do you want to tell us about the music that's playing at the beginning and end of this episode? Yeah, that's our buddies and the band Gazelles, and we really appreciate them, and they make some kick-ass music. So thanks, guys. That's Gazelles. Awesome. All right, we will catch you guys next week. Ciao. Hello, so it's hello, welcome to Winner Winner, a Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. A Player Unknown's Battlegrounds podcast. Yeah. I'm just going to write that down. You should say that. Hello. Hello. <laughs> hello and welcome. Welcome. Hello and welcome to, to Winner Winner, a Player Unknown's Battlegrounds podcast. Whatever.